Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Eckhart, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast. Uh, Welcome back, Rudy Eckhart. Hi, Mark. It's Mark Follett here. And uh, today we're going to talk about being different. Of course, everybody is different and unique, but in specific, uh, specifically this topic came up for me this week because my oldest son had something fairly mundane, I suppose, happened to him at school. It just got me thinking. Uh, He came home and he said that the kids were, I guess, picking on him or teasing him or pointing out that he was wearing his hat differently to the other kids because it's apparently cool to wear your ears tucked into your hat and not to have your ears hanging outside your hat. And it got me thinking that some of the ways in which um, kids point out differences in others and that they have a a low level of tolerance for people that are different or show something that is different would actually flow through into our society into some bigger issues that are going on with our society as a whole, such as racism. If someone looks different to you or they act different or they speak differently to you, then uh, this intolerance will carry through from obviously from childhood right up. Uh, we're probably going to venture into the uh, in the realms of bullying today, I suspect, um, and also probably talk about the flip side of that is, is my, my son as an example is he's creating his own reality, so he's presenting himself as, as different and unique, and maybe we'll talk about why that is as well as why people like to, or not what they like to, but they feel compelled to point out differences and uniquenesses in other people and, and also to feel that they need to fit in. So, uh, Rudy, that, that's that's what I'd like to cover off on topic today. So if you wanted to kick us off with some of the, your understanding of what's going on here. Well, it's, a, it, it's actually something that's very common and it is a part of every human being. It is also something very deep and I think... Uh, the, thing, the, the things I'm going to explain to, to today will be very new for most people, if not everybody. Um, and because of that, you could take it as a personal concept on my part, but uh, it fits in totally with the philosophy of the, um, the truth of love and fear, which is in the book that I've released, but it fits in with that philosophy and it fits in totally with the way we as a human as a human consciousness create our own reality so it's going be, we're going to be covering a wide range of stuff to explain this right? sounds exciting um, first of first thing that you mentioned is that everybody's fundamentally different and that I believe to be absolutely true mm. we are like an impossible to imagine number of variations possible to um, to be the people that we are. So our, our, each individual consciousness is subtly different from another. Almost like every grain of sand on a beach 
is in some way, in some minute way, different from any other grain of sand. Or like snowflakes, every single snowflake is unique. Exactly the same, mm. yeah. So in, in that way, even though we see an enormous snowstorm covering maybe half a country, still each snowflake will be different mm. from another. And, and, each, and the following snowstorm, mm. no snowflake will be the same as one that was in the previous snowstorm. And, and in that way, the generations of human beings that have been involved in this planet, there's never been two individual people coming from you know, consciousness and created through consciousness that, are, that have ever been the same. Even if they're twins or triplets. Yeah. Even if we call them identical. Mm-hmm. They're actually not. That's right. Not not as a consciousness. They can look physic physically very diff- very mm. much the same, but as a consciousness, they're not. Um, and so we have the likes of William who wears his hat with his ears out, and kids tease him. <laughs> and of course, William is already by definition a kid that is somewhat different to others for a number of reasons, and most of which are really just the way he was born. Yep, and and the way he the way he is in the world, he likes to <laughs> do things that are different to other kids. He really does. So, as you pointed out to me when we spoke about this, is that other kids feel challenged by that. Mm. They feel challenged by uh, William's difference, and William is being different in the world because, on some level, he feels that he not only is, but also feels free to express that on a certain level. Now, if we take into account that everybody is different, right? And at the same time, we, um, we have things like racism, bullying, um, discrimination of all sorts, mm. right? Even, even um, sexual discrimination... But Religious discrimination. You yep. name you you name a label and you find discrimination. <laughs> yes. Right? And it all ties back to people being different or people pointing out differences in others. Could be because you're short. Could be because you're tall. Yeah. The thing is you could be discriminated against for any reason. Or disabled. Yep. In, in a white society, I could be discriminated against because I'm black. In a black society, I could be discriminated against because I'm white. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter what color you are. Discrimination takes place in all its various forms. Mm. So um, the fact that we need to understand that people discriminate and what they're really doing is that they are pointing out what they believe to be unacceptable differences between them and the other person, no matter what those differences are. Mm. It reflects something that's happening internally which is that we, um, difference, somebody being different from us, brings up fear within ourselves. And the question is, why is that so? Almost, almost like if someone is different from me and they're displaying that they're different, challenges me because if I have to accept them, then I have to accept there's something wrong with me because we're not the same. Is that, is that what, you, what you mean by that? No. no, no, not quite. It's not about being the same. It's actually about being different. It all goes back to the very early years of your life, and this is what I mean. When I'm, well, that's what I meant earlier on when I said um, <clears throat> that this goes very far and deep. It starts off in the early part of your life. Your parents have already been raised by their parents. 
they've already been indoctrinated in the fears and insecurities that their parents had. They've already been made to believe that they had to fit in and model themselves, as you like, to whatever their parents wanted them to be or mm. expected them to be or needed them to be. With, with their parents being their introduction and their connection with the greater society that existed at that particular time. No, so, so it's not quite in that way. No, 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 no. But the no, parents no. are, a, are a, an example of what's going on in that particular period of time, aren't they? Yeah, but you have no awareness of any of that when you're a child. So no, when you just come into the world, you're just exposed to your parents' fear. Yeah, but I'm saying that if, if you're born in a particular generation, then there's particular issues that you'll probably have because your parents were part of the previous generation and they, you know, there's things they were exposed to. Yeah, but it depends on so many things. Like, it becomes individualised, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it depends whether they were born as coal miners um, in a coal miners' village or whether they were, you know, living in... Uh, in, in high-end London or high-end part of Europe. So it, it, all, it is all very different. But mm. what it does come down to that no matter where you're coming from, no matter what your economic or social background is or your religion, right, your parents will have had fears. And that those fears will have determined how they will have treated you when you were a baby growing into a child, growing into an adult. Mm -hmm. And so... You come in the world, you arrive in the world with the innate expectation that who you are will be accepted, loved and wanted unconditionally. You don't expect that there will be conditions to your existence. In including and your uniqueness. That includes your uniqueness because you are unique without knowing that you are. Mm -hmm. It is almost like if you were to know what your body looks like, you need a mirror of some kind a physical mirror, in order to see your physical body. If you want to know what you're like psychologically when you don't know what it is, which is exactly how it is as a child, a child is, exists, and has a sense of being without knowing who it is, what it is, and what it is all about. Without that um, metaphorical mirror. The metaphorical mirror then becomes the parents. Mm. So depending on, way, on the way the parents treat a child, behave towards a child and act towards a child and act between each other, right, um, the child will start to determine its own sense of being. Mm. But it does, though, it, 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 it does so in, in reference to its unknown sense of its own beingness. And that sounds a bit bizarre to have a, to have a reference point which you actually is still undetermined, but is nevertheless there. So this is what awareness is. Like awareness is to, to be aware of something means that the thing that you're going to be aware of is already pre-existing. Otherwise, there's nothing to be aware of. Mm -hmm. So there has to be something in the child, some particular state of being, which is unique to the child, which at this point it's not aware of because it's not developed and it hasn't developed its awareness of itself that then becomes coloured and distorted by the fears and insecurities of the parent who want and expect that child to be a certain way in order to deal with their own fears and insecurities. Mm. And, and that creates conditional love. Then love and acceptance and trust become conditional due to the nature of the parent's fear. And that's what distorts the sense of self. Well, then the child thinks it has to meet certain conditions in order to be loved, accepted and trusted, which for a child is critical because of its own emotional and physical survival. Mm -hmm. 
right? That it comes to believe that those conditions are reality. And so it accepts those conditions in the form of a self-belief. Like, I will only be acceptable if I never make a noise and I never upset my father or my mother or if I never ask for anything or need anything, if I'm never a burden or a nuisance, if I never contradict or criticize, if I'm always compliant or submissive and never protest. So, so let's talk about the specific two sides of this discussion we're having today and talk about how this, this person who is intolerant of others being different, how did they form their beliefs in this situation you're talking about with their parents. So what, what is it? What, what, they are what, the same people. What, 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 it is no different to what I already explained. No, I just wanted you to be more specific with relation to um, intolerance rather than we're talking about, you know, if you okay. have to be quiet or you have, you know, how does it link to between your childhood upbringing and being intolerant? All right. How does that specifically come about? So if the child then grows up under the pressure of, of the fears of its parents and their insecurities and their prejudices and their um, predetermined belief systems shaped by their parents and their generation and their society, okay? The child grows up like that, then in that process, its original and unique sense of self is being judged and criticized, but also rejected. Mm. So then the child develops a fear of itself. It fears being its original and natural self in the world. Fears being because unique. Because it has already experienced by not being compliant to the expectations of others in its behavior and self-expression, it becomes unacceptable and it is subjected to criticism, judgment, anger, uh, resentment, um, rejection, exclusion, um, and all these negative things which then make it feel bad. So then the child grows up fearing its unique self. And coming to the determination on some level that it has to be compliant, submissive, and also then fit in with the parents and later on fit in with society, mm. fit in with others in order to be acceptable. Mm. So then there, there is a deep fear of being different because it doesn't allow itself to be different anymore. Mm. It fears its own unique nature. So when it's then confronted with somebody who is not fearful of being unique, it triggers these fears. And it then needs to make itself right and the other party wrong in order to feel safe. Mm. And if it can find others who are similarly affected and similarly aggressively fearful, then they will collect as a bunch of people or as a bunch of kids who then bully the child that they can target for being different as being unconscious or subconsciously for them, that child is a trigger for their fears. Mm. So that all happens at a subconscious level where you're saying that people have these fears and insecurities that get triggered by mm. a ch another child being different. Now, the child that is different, they're not actually reacting to the fact that my son wears his ears outside of his mm. hat. What they're reacting to is the fact that he's able to express his unique self and that challenges them because it creates fear within them um, and they want to get to a place of safety by, by challenging his unique self, him expressing his unique self. So it's important to, di to differentiate between what's actually going on uh, at a psychological level and not just look at the fact that they picked on his 
on his ears and his hat right. in particular. Like the physical is used as a way to point out difference is what you, what you would Well, explain. basically, you know, I mean, if adults can't understand why they have to discriminate against people, how can you expect kids to know that? No, of course. And so um, just like adults, uh, kids already um, try to explain the feeling that they have and they look for an explanation in that feeling, for that feeling, I should say, on a physical level. So then they look at a child and look at what is different in the child. Has he got orange hair? Has he got a different skin color? Are his eyes slanty or round? Um, is he tall or short? <clears throat> or overweight uh, or too thin? Does he wear the wrong clothes, inverted commas, right? Uh, does he talk different? Does he have an accent? Mm -hmm. Does he have trouble speaking? Does he um, like things that are different to other kids or them in this case? Mm. So no matter what the difference is, once it becomes, once they recognize something on a physical level, that becomes a target. It doesn't matter what's the ears outside the hat, the skin color, um, having bigger ears than other kids. Doesn't matter. Even, it becomes even, what, even what the other kids have in their lunchbox is, is apparently a big issue. It can be what you eat, yeah. yeah. Because you eat what I don't eat, and I have to justify my food in order by making your food wrong. And this is the fear of being challenged um, for um, for being different. So because they fear being different, they make other kids that are different wrong. And they make them the target of their anger. And usually it is the it is not kids that just they're kids that are fearful of being different and don't show it and conform. They're not the kids that attack other kids for being different. They might be introverted, for instance, and just go along. Yeah, their way. They, they, they may just go along and they're pleasers, if you like. Yeah, they don't get they're, noticed. They're, they're the fitter in us, so yeah. to speak, right? Yeah. Um, but the the kids that are aggressive and want to force others to be like them in order for them to feel acceptable, mm. right? They're the ones we worry about. Mm. because And that's what you call bullying, really. It's, it, called, it's basically called bullying, and it is not about just looking at the bully. Also, the child, like your William, needs to, needs to have a look at himself as mm. well. Yeah, so I'd like to talk about that side of it as well, is to talk about the, the individual that's on the other side where they're getting picked on for being different. And how it's played out for them. Well, for William, it's it's similarly so, but that on some level, and Mark, that's not a criticism of you directly, but on some level, when you are unaware and a parent, you carried your, the fears of your parents forward, yeah. whether you knew it or not. And that William would have felt that, and he's felt his uniqueness being... Um, how can I say that, being criticized and judged because he couldn't be himself with you. Hmm. And so he needs to, how can I say, release the fears that he has about being different and unique. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's another extension to this which is kind of weird and everybody knows this but doesn't recognize it for what it is. Um, singers, right? Artists, right? have a huge fan base. Mm -hmm. And particularly in now, now more so than in any other time, these stars, as we call them, right, do their very best to look different. 
to behave different and to act different. And yet they have a massive star base. And you say you would think that everybody, everybody would be discriminating against them because they're so massively different. Yeah, they're almost outwardly different or to, to a point of being fake. A lot of them, you know. No, to the point that, that much of it is fake. Much of it is fake, yeah. Much of it is just fake. It's just put on. Yes. It's just a deliberate attempt. The stunts. To yeah. stand out. That's right. Yes, yeah? absolutely. I it's remember. just a deliberate attempt to be noticed in public, right? I remember uh, a few years ago, Justin Bieber, I think it was, came to the Gold Coast and spray-painted something, you know, and then got a huge uh, media outcry over the fact that, you know, he was doing something like that and that, that he had to then he didn't have to clean it off and you know all sorts of things but again it's just a stunt it's just something to do to get attention and show everyone how different you are and what a rebel you are and yeah 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 it's doing the opposite to what everybody else um thinks is normal yes thinks you should be doing yeah. so he wear winter boots in summer and he'll wear the t-shirt and uh uh, so, you know, he'll do the opposite in winter mm-hmm. just to get attention, just to be noticed, just to be seen. And the people that follow people of that of that kind, right, will justify he's an amazing talent and that sort of thing. But a big part of it is that what they see is somebody who dares to be different, mm. who dares to stand out, who dares to be noticed, and who dares to do the things that they wish they could only do. But because they're so fearful of being different, they are suppressed. And then the being the fan of such a star becomes an outlet so they're living for that suppressed self. Well, they're living vicariously through this person. Mm, mm. Yeah. And and it's kind of the the ridiculous opposite to the bullying, if you like, and discrimination and racism. But people don't see it that way. They see it all as separate because they justify each and every part that they do by finding reasons to, to justify that discrimination or to be a fan. Mm. And if because there's no objectivity in any of this, once fear is part of your mindset, objectivity is lost. And if that's the case, then there is no objective person anyway on this planet. I don't care whether you're a scientist or not. Mm. I don't care whether you in one religion or not. To be objective, to be totally neutral, is nay impossible, just as much as it is really, really hard to be completely unconditional in love, acceptance and trust. And yet, these are the things that we need to be striving for, regardless how difficult it is to get there. Because these are the things, the only things, the only elements in our emotional self and in our spiritual self, this will lead us to a, a harmonious place within, and then, of course, a harmonious place outside. Yeah, I mean, in what we're talking about today, as you just said there, there are huge world consequences to people accepting other people by not having this fear within themselves of being unique, different, uh, a unique and different consciousness. Because if people were um, felt free to express themselves, they then wouldn't fear other people who were different and they would celebrate the uniqueness and difference of others. And that would help with so many things. We talked about bullying and obviously racism is a, is a form of that and discrimination, as you said. So all of those things become related back to this particular fear, don't they? Just imagine, right? And I'm, trying, I'm going to try and explain this because it's, it's an extension of Little William's problem. On, on a much larger scale. <laughs> if every consciousness is different, right, 
then on a much deeper level, we share a common source, mm -hmm. even though we are uniquely different in our awareness, capacities, talents, abilities, nature, whatever you want to call it. So, so we, we're, we're a different expression of a common source. Each and every one of us, mm -hmm. all right? Because of that, each of every one of us creates and, in, and interprets and has a different experience of being, being alive, being conscious, mm -hmm. right? Whether you're physical or not. If we then take it to the next step, the next step would be to for all that individualized awareness and the and individualized experience and the individualized um, creation of life to be shared by every other consciousness to enhance the whole knowledge awareness base and experiential base of the whole consciousness. Because we all come from that common source. We, can we all come from the common source. We can share our right. experiences back to that. So if I, if you, Mike, by, by you sharing your experience with me, it enhances my experience of myself, right? If we were all to share our unique differences with each other, we would all expand our awareness and that would give us tools to even express more and more creatively and more diversely than what we are already. Yes. The more self-contained we are, the more narrow our self-expression becomes, and the less we share. The more we share, the more expansive this becomes, and the more we create. So the expansion of our consciousness is not just on an individual basis. It comes from sharing with every other consciousness their perspective, their point of view, their ideas, their beliefs, their nuances of experience. And with that, enhance the total experience of consciousness that we have individually and shared. It will connect us with each other in a way that I think at this time, um, due to our fears, is, is impossible in this present moment. We almost feel like we need to separate ourselves from others so that we can because we, we fear that we might, if we might blend in and, and feel that we are part of everything else, then we lose our sense of self. Whereas in reality, what you're saying is that we, in, in connecting with others, we actually grow our own experience rather than lose our sense of boundaries and of our experience. We actually would grow our experience exponentially through other people. And we know ourselves better because as the mirror grows, if you understand my expression, yes. As the mirror of who we are grows because we expand it, our sense of our own beingness and the uniqueness of what we are becomes a more aware part of us, which then gives us a unique, self, a unique sense of self with an understanding of the connectiveness to others. Mm. So it is not like our individual individuality will diminish, but our individuality and the awareness of it will grow as our consciousness expands across all other consciousness. We're really talking about the manifestation of this fear that we're talking about today of, of not being able to express yourself and the unique indifference at a, at a consciousness level rather than purely at a physical level. Because we talked at a psychological level, first of all, the bullying and obviously the picking on specific things like ears and a hat or colour of skin being the physical manifestation of that fear or the way that that's interpreted. But now you're talking at a consciousness level that people also fear that their consciousness is not going to be secure if they open themselves and share their knowledge and share themselves with other people. 
Well, this is this is where we look at the bigger picture, mm. like a much much bigger picture. I mean, on a fundamental level, uh, in life, I mean, there's definitely uh, people have a need to belong because they need their in the, they need their sense of beingness being forced. So rather than going to a place where we try and find back who we are as individuals, we try to find strength through belonging to groups. You know, whether they are skinheads or whether they are punks or whether they are Catholics or Protestants or, or, or whether they're a work union or whether they're members of a leagues club or yeah. return soldiers club or we try to find a certain commonality, a certain um, framework in which our sense of beingness is enhanced and justified. So basically, we want, we we finish up sharing our lives with people who share the same fears and insecurities as we do. And in that way, we're not expanding our knowledge of the world. We're just no, we're re- narrowing it down. We're narrowing it down, and we're only dealing with people who have the same experiences that we do. Well, the same fear base. Yeah, but I mean, the, if you if you're going to deal in in terms of maybe a return services club, you're going to be dealing with people that have generally been through the same experiences as a result of their beliefs of course but yeah okay but that's not necessarily the case Mm. like people will join a religion Mm. or a religious sect if you like even though say they may have had very different experiences Mm. but they may share the common um, idea of um, being powerless and victims and just coming to that place will cause them to share um, a common belief of who they are in the world, how they are in the world, and how the world is then viewed from those eyes with those fears. And that will give them a common base and give them a sense of belonging and sharing, but it also justifies their fears. If you share, share your fears... Let me, let me give you a very simple one, which is, happens more often than what you think, is that uh, men and women, right, when they, 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 they create friendships, right? we create friendship circles, um, we don't realize that we only select friends that suit our perspective, point of view, and fear base. So our fears and insecurities actually play a huge part in the kind of friends that we choose. Because those particular friends are our friends because they, they don't challenge us, make us feel unsafe in our, with our fear base. Yeah, as a consequence that they of sharing our fears, they will not challenge our fears, they no. share them yeah. with us. So... So we will not choose a friend who, if, if, if we are fearful and afraid of confrontation and we see ourselves as victims, we're not going to choose a friend who's, um, how can I say that fearless and has no issue with confrontation and does not understand why anybody would act like a victim. Mm. Right? What we will attract is aggressive victims versus passive victims in our friendships. You know, you, 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 this is the kind of thing where where, for instance, a bunch of girls always gets together complaining about men. And men are this, and men are that, and men are something else. And a bunch of guys will get together and complain about women as if they are their, a foreign uh, alien species. Uh, complain about their oppressive wives. and Yeah, I think there's a, yeah there's or, a, or, or women in general. They may it, not have wives. I think that's the basis of nearly all the beer commercials, where you get a bunch of guys that get together to, to avoid and get away from their oppressive wives. Yeah, well, that's what we call ultimately <laughs> what that looks like is what we call stereotyping. Yes. But it actually, the stereotyping is only a product of shared fear beliefs about the opposite sex. Well, stereotyping uh, is observation of reality. I, I think it's based on 
that that is a real situation, even though we've stereotyped it and, and made an advertisement out of it and said, oh, these guys get together and avoid their wives. I think that's actually happening in reality. It's not like it's a made-up stereotype. Stereotypes are because people notice, or people that do advertising or people that make TV shows notice that these stereotypes are real. These these groups do exist. Yeah, yeah. They probably okay. don't, they probably don't understand why. No, I th- I think I, maybe I I interpret what I call stereotypes as something different to what it's made out to be. Mm. And what I'm trying to say is this: stereotypes are people who share the same fears and the same insecurities and the same point of view. Right? It it is it is a way of describing human consciousness. Uh, in a very simplistic way, only purely be observed by observation and behavior, without having any awareness or realization of what drives all that. What is the what lies underneath that? What lies underneath um, men that are chauvinists? What is what is the driving force of chauvinism, and what is the driving force of the opposite of women who are the victims of chauvinists, if you like, but actually uh, uh, some sort of I wish there was a word for it, um, for women who are like chauvinist in their own way, in the, in the sense that they um, see men as being more powerful, uh, uh, stronger, um, more capable and competent, and see themselves as inferior, inadequate, in words, unable they, to look after themselves. They believe in chauvinism. They believe chauvinism to be a reality. Yeah. And they see themselves as the negative side of that equation and men as the positive side, inverted commas, of that equation, which is obviously not a positive thing, no matter which way you look at it. So, so is what you're saying, I guess, that um, mm-hmm. our unique and different selves come into the world and it, it's often our fears and insecurities that drive us into... Not trying, often, it is. It is our fears yeah. and insecurities that drive us to seek similarities and sameness and which is almost a mundane society where everyone is the same. So people that are like that have the same fears are drawn together because the fears are common. Yeah. But their unique and different selves sit behind that and are not expressed. Yeah. Just the fear of being the unique and different self. Mm-hmm. Which means they suppress their unique and different self. And because everybody has such a diversity of fears, we get a diverse society because <laughs> of the fear base that is different for each group. But it'd be nicer to have a diverse society based on unique and different creativity rather than the diversity of fear. Well, unique and different people, when they're together, don't need to form groups. They're not dependent on groups. They're not dependent on the support of a group, which then makes them, for people who need groups, dangerous because they are not influenceable. You can't, um, you can't control that sort of personality. Mm. Because they're not controllable, because they don't care. They don't care what other people think, because they're just okay with their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own beliefs. And they don't need to comply, they don't need to conform, they don't need to fit in. And that society finds really difficult to deal with when when society is predominantly constructed of people who have a need to fit in, who live in fear, who have a need to be led, who have a need for someone to be responsible for them in the general sense. Yeah, leadership's an interesting point that you make there because I think a very effective leader would be one who leads by that example, that they, they put themselves out there and they say, this is me, this is my uniqueness, and I, I'm not bound up in fear, I'm not bound in what other people think of me, I'm going to lead by, leading by example in that way 
would be quite powerful, I think. And I, I've seen evidence of that in some aspects of my life. So, Yeah, it would be powerful, but the reality is that most of these structures that we have in place in the world, whether they're economic or law-based or um, um, structures around which society builds its um, economy and its social structure, are based on fear. Hmm. The fear of lack, the fear of losing control, the fear of lawlessness, the fear of um, uh, economic uh, welfare, the fear of... So it's, 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 um, we have armies because of fear. Mm. We fight wars because of fear. We have religious problems between people because of fear. We have discrimination because of fear. Everything and, is based on fear. And bullying, of course. Well, it? bullying is on the minor, on the playground. Is is uh, you know, it's it's where it all kind of starts. It's almost a practice for the for the real life, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's what it, it, these people become like um, bullies later in life, in some form or another. Mm, mm. It, it will the strategies will change in that it it will not be like picking on a kid. But it will certainly find a different form and find a different out- outlet. Well, you hear of workplace bullying or you know all sorts of things going on with with, with those sorts of people. A lot. I mean, some bullies they sort of. I mean, I've read things where they say bullies are more likely to end up in jail or whatever. And I guess that's just a they become more extreme in their behaviours as a result of yeah. Their but fear. these are these are the ones that get physically extreme and you know. But you don't get we we make control freaks. Right, who that's another form of bullying is mm. forcing other people to think like you, behave like you. They become the bosses of companies and corporations, <laughs> they become uh, managers, and you know, mm. because we see them as, as this having a positive quality in a corporate environment and in a business environment. And so, um, in many ways, it's being celebrated. I think I think so I've it, seen, it depends how you challenge how you challenge how you channel sorry the bully inside of you yeah. if you channel the bully well you can make a lot of money out of it yeah I think I saw I think I saw a book at the moment that I saw on the on the bookstore shelves and I, I can't remember the name of the author but it's a, it says something like from a, a, this it's a famous CEO who's written a book and it says something like from, from just reminded me from uh, from childhood bully to or truant childhood bully to CEO of great one of the biggest companies in the world or something. That's what his book is about, you know. Well, you so. know, but, but you know whether whether he just observed that process, and I don't know, and, and whether he been able, he was able to see the causes and reasons for that rather than just uh, the outcome, if you like. I think it's uh, really just his story of how it happened. It'd be very. Yeah, they'd be very uh, physical based, you know, the events that happened, and not necessarily and, and, what's happening behind yeah. it. So what I'm trying to explain is actually the the background of all of that, mm. why it happens that way, mm. and and it's a, it's a sick thing, and there's no other way to describe it. I agree, um, and it is not just something you deal with the bully, you deal with the victim, if you like. The victim of bullying needs also to be taken care of and not just protected because you can't protect a person from that sort of thing all of their life you, you almost uh, I think in the way that schools deal with people that have been bullied it almost reinforces them being different from everybody else because they they might get special treatment or they might 
they might be singled out and say, oh, you know, the poor the poor fellow's a victim and, you know... Don't. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, but in a child, you create the perception that they are not responsible for anything that's happening to them. Mm. And that being a victim means that they're automatically innocent of anything. Mm. And there is in every victim a reason for their victimness, yes. whether we like it or not. I know it's not going to be popular to say this, and it is my intent to write a book about it, but it it is unfortunately so. You know, it is that every every victim has a responsibility in the process that they um, that they call being victimized. Um, That's true. That's true because it wouldn't be anyone for the bully to attack if there wasn't a victim on the other end of it. There has to be something somebody with a victim mentality, as you might call that, uh, for a bully to have a target. Hmm. You, so how how would it? So let's let's talk about. We've talked about William to some extent, and we've talked about a bully to some extent um, on those two sides of it. What if there was a child that was comfortable being unique and different, but was not a victim? How would the bully interact? Because they wouldn't. The, they bully wouldn't. Would, the bully would still be fairly challenged by that person, I suspect. Because not they, really. They're not it's challenged kind of by weird. Being no, unique and no, it doesn't. No. Yeah. No, it's 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 kind of weird. It's kind of weird that that person, he may not be an insider, but he is not necessarily the target. Mm. Mm. He's not necessarily, and somehow these kids that are confidently themselves, and that's the difference, um, are okay. You know, they they because they also are not intimidated, which is why the bully doesn't have any purchase on them. Yeah, he might try it once and then give up. Yeah, he, but because the, the person that's confident would just speak up against him. So question him or... Inter- I've actually, just as a personal experience, right? So, so yeah, to, to give some proof of all of this, I had a um, client who was, um, who was being bullied at school, right? She was, um, I think she might have been 11 years old at the time. And she was bu- being bullied by a big, big girl, who um, had a group of friends and they would have a go at her all the time and they would hit her occasionally and basically just verbally bully her. And she didn't know what to do about it. So I did a session on her um, her powerlessness, if you like, her victimness, right, around herself, like the way she is in the world. And just for, just for clarity, obviously, we haven't spoken a lot about Rudy's work, but the purpose of it is to work through, understand what those fears are in context, and the sessions are set out to remove those fears. To remove those fears yep. and negative beliefs that support them. And so I did that, and then we went to a little bit of coaching and behavior, and I said to her, if she comes up to you again, I say, you look her straight in the eyes, and you keep saying the same thing. You keep saying to her, what is it you want? What do you want? And you don't take your eyes off her eyes and you don't move back. Anyway, so saw her a week later, big smile on her face. She said, I did exactly what you told me. (laughs) And you know what happened? I said, what happened? She burst out crying. Mm. The girl burst out crying and broke down. After that, her friends lost all her respect for her because these, these are all the weaker kids that have the same issue but have to form themselves behind the most aggressive kid. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah? Behind the most aggressive bully, yes. Yeah, the most aggressive bully. Mm-hmm. So they bully with her, but individually they're powerless. Yeah, it's like, like, like a pack of hyenas. Yeah, but having been bullied as a kid <laughs> myself, mm-hmm. I know all of this, right? Yeah. I've learned how this works. I understood it, and in my case, when I, was, when I had enough of it, I would go for the leader, regardless of who was around, and I'd smash the shit out of him. Mm. And then usually it would stop. <laughs> right, that's basically what would happen. I, I like I like the advice you gave the the girl. It's probably better than going straight to the smashing. Well, I was only a kid then. And yeah, that's yeah. all I knew how to do to yeah. defend myself. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, um, I, I actually had some similar experiences myself, where I got left alone after having to lash out physically. Yeah, it's the only way they would leave me alone, mm. and I'd have to do it once a year. <laughs> Every year I moved to a different class and different kids. The process would start all over again. Mm. I would tolerate it for about four to six weeks, and then I had enough. And I, by the time I'd figured out who was what, and I knew who the leader was, and I'd, I'd get him. And once I got him, regardless of whether I won or lost, funny enough, it didn't matter whether I lost the fight. But the moment I took them on, they would respect me, and they would leave me alone. That was the weird part about it as well. But I think what you're saying there in, in the example you gave with your client is that it doesn't need to be physical violence. It can purely be a, a challenge, a, a verbal Yeah, challenge. I thought at the time that I was an adult and I was faced with this child, there was a smarter option. <laughs> By that time, I'd learned that there were other options possible. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, that, that's a really good, basically confronting a bully and saying, what do you want? Why are you, why are you badgering? Why, why are you here? Yeah, why you? What do you want from me? What do you want? Why are you here? Why do you care? What about my hat? <laughs> why do you care whether my yeah. ears are into my out of my hat? What what's going on with that? Yeah, you don't go. No, you see, you don't do that. Don't do that. You don't talk about because then you give them an opening to criticize something about you, mm. and they'll make that the target. Make it so not what you do. Again. Yeah. yeah, you you just say, what do you want, or what is your problem? What is your problem? Yeah, and you keep saying the same thing. And you keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it and forcing them to to have to respond in some way and they can't because they don't know what to say because hmm. they, they're not smart enough, clever enough, intelligent enough and aware enough to be able to know what it is they're actually doing and why. Hmm. It's usually because you're almost confronting them with their fear and saying what... Why well, you make you... them powerless internally. You make them both think and have to think and... You know, I'm not saying it's going to work in every occasion, but it worked in that case very, very well. Might even get the bully questioning that question in themselves. Well, yeah, well, that's what happens. Yeah, but I mean, it might actually help them as well. Well, that girl had to break down. I don't know what happened to her afterwards because I obviously never saw her, but um, it broke up the whole group, Mm. just her breaking down in front of everybody. But a bully might start, if, if they're asked that question by someone that they're bullying they might actually ask that question of themselves and come to some sort of awareness that's possible and i think it it would it would help both parties in that instance to ask those questions now something i probably need to highlight when we're having this conversation that both the bully and the victim have the same problem yes same fears similar fears Mm -hmm. very similar similarly based fears and that the difference between the bully and the victim is is that the the victim um in this case uh fears being different and be unacceptable, but it's passive mm-hmm. and is waiting to be accepted, waiting for acknowledgement, waiting or seeking it. to be validated. Mm. Yeah, looking for it and then waiting for we're, it. We're looking for it outside of themselves. Yeah. yeah. And and the bully wants to is is fearful but aggressive in his behavior and imposes 
that restriction on others. You but can't be different from me. You have to be the same as me. You have to be the same yeah. as me. Yeah? yeah, you have to be in the group. You have to be one of ours. And if you're not because you wear this weird hat on your ears, right, you're obviously not one of ours. Mm. You know, that's, that's how it feels for the Buddha. It's almost like a tattoo or a, yeah. or a motorcycle badge or yeah. something, isn't it? But they both have the f- same fundamental issue and they both need to be need support and help and be dealt with, you know. Mm. Um, it, it, it is wrong for adults to interfere with this in a way whereby they treat one as the victim and the other as the aggressor and feel that they have to protect the victim but they don't need to protect the aggressor the aggressor just needs to be punished yeah right because that's that's a wrong approach to deal with children look looking at what you've explained today i can't see how that strategy would solve anything it doesn't it can't possibly solve anything it doesn't it just uh, for for the victim, the victim didn't become any stronger from being protected because nothing was done to make the victim into a stronger person. Mm-hmm. And the bully um, just takes his bullying somewhere else, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah, and gets punished, but it does, the punishment doesn't solve the problem, and, and I guess that's a problem. No, with. because he has no realisation of why he is the way he is, no. and he's no, there's no reason to turn off what he does other than taking it somewhere else. Instead of doing it in the school, he's going to do it outside the school. Mm. And instead of doing it openly um, in, in, in a... Uh, once he's learned that he's not getting to get anywhere in life with this, he might just display his work and become a bullying manager and seem to be a strong, controlling individual. Yeah, seek, seek, seek opportunities for it to be celebrated <laughs> rather than punished. Well, fundamentally, he will be drawn to places where he, he can be in control. And control means managing other people. Hmm. And the people he will attract to manage will be the victims. Because people who are not victims would not work for him. It's amazing how, how it, all, it all plays out and connects through from your early childhood um, conditioning right through... From your work life, your married life, your relationships, your friendships. There's no place where this is not going to show. Yeah. It's only if, you, if you're not aware of it and you, you don't understand it and you, you are hooked, if you like, uh, on the behaviour visual part of everything that you miss what's going on underneath. And then you don't understand why it's happening. And then you take measures which only deal with the surface part rather than with the deeper part. And that, that is fundamentally the problem. Mm. It's probably uh, why rehabilitation in prisons doesn't work because people are, that are bullies are getting in, they, they give them arts and crafts to do or something and, and say that we're going to yeah, rehabilitate well, them back into the workplace. But even if they didn't, even if they changed their life and went back to work, they're still going to be a bully in their new workplace. It's just that they're going to find an outlet that's applauded rather than one that's punished. It's a possibility. Mm. Usually the people that do rehabilitate, rehabilitate themselves. And they really don't need a hell of a lot of encouragement. Mm. You know, a lot of people that do things that are banned are done in a moment of extreme um, emotional pressure, which, which means that their fears reach a peak emotionally where they then commit an act that in normal circumstances they wouldn't. And, and, and that's to do with safety, isn't it? Really what we're talking about is they get so confronted because of their fears that they feel unsafe and they lash out to, to try and be safe. And 
And in that way, every crime is committed as a self-protection mechanism in a way, but an emotional self-protection mechanism rather than a physical. It's not like they're physically protecting themselves. Yeah, but, yeah, but th- thieves can have a distorted perspective of entitlement, mm. for instance, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, people with controlling behaviours have, a, have a, a different kind of entitlement and right which um, they try to block other people from. So they're entitled to have it, but other people are not. Um, they fear missing out. Um, there's so many different fears that, that have a distorted, um, create a distorted uh, influence on the way you act and behave that are innumerable always. But you can generalize them, but, but there are so many when you become specific about them because the reasons and causes um, uh, which are part of the belief systems uh, are quite unique for each individual. You can deal with a similar issue in, in people, but at the same time, when you're actually on the ground with the actual issue itself in terms of what negative beliefs drive it, they usually have unique qualities that need to be included for that particular person. Mm. So, so coming back to little William, you know, little William needs a bit of self-confidence in his unique self yeah. and carry himself with greater confidence than what mm-hmm. he has so far. In order for the bullying to stop, mm-hmm. yeah, fundamentally, I, I'll take that on because I'll, I'll definitely be getting into listen to this episode and, and take some tips out of it because I think we've got some real practical advice as well as a good understanding of the basis of the of the things we talked about today. Which, so just just to summarise, we talked about being being different to others and creating your reality um, on William's side or anyone that's in that sort of the victim of bullying. They're creating their own reality as a result of their fears which are very similar to the fears of someone who is the bully in terms of being different, unique, and strange. So both, both parties uh, have, this, have similar fears and they're just expressing their behaviours differently. Um, we talked about the fact that that brings through into adulthood, from, from bullying into adulthood, and the, the fact that things like racism and discrimination are, and, and even we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, domestic violence all fits into this same pattern of behaviour of victim and, and bully uh, across society. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting to talk about people who dare to be different and obviously interesting to see, as you said, what society would be look, looking like if we were able to not have to protect our patch and be same as everybody else or, or, or suppress our uniqueness and we're able to actually share our uniqueness with everybody else and not be fearful of of being accepted yeah. and, and, and that sort of thing. It would be a fantastic situation yeah. to live in. Yeah, you, I mean, you say protect your patch and just to clarify, so there's no misinterpretation of what it is. You only ever need to protect a patch if there is fear. Yes. Without fear, there's nothing to protect. Mm. And so therefore you can be authentically yourself without fear. Ultimately, the goal for every human being should be, every consciousness should be to live life without fear which then allows us to be unconditional in our relationships with others, and which then changes not just your life, but the world, literally, literally, in a way that I can't even describe, or I can only approach it in my description if I were to try, Um, but it would create a very, very different world in every way that you could possibly think of. 
Mm. All right. Well, if our listeners want to want to recreate the world in that way, keep listening to the podcast. We're going to give some some information on how to do that, of course, as we did today, and uh, share it with anybody that you think might be might be benefiting from some of uh, some of Rudy's uh, amazing wisdom. So, thank you again, Rudy, for your time. You're welcome. And we'll see all our listeners again soon. See you all soon.